Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. How is something old, damaged or dirty restored? How is it made to be brand new again? How is something renewed? How does something go from being old to being new again? Okay? Now, it's a pretty unusual concept if you want to think about it for a moment, because think of an athlete. They tend to start younger and quicker, much like myself, and then become old and slow, much like the reality of myself. Uh, or you buy a car if you're lucky enough to buy a brand new car. Actually, it doesn't stay brand new for very long. Over time, it becomes old and then worn out. Or perhaps you're lucky enough to buy a brand new computer Um, like this one was once a brand new computer. Now it is the opposite. It is old, worn out, and occasionally does things you don't want it to. Uh, Or perhaps it's fashion. You think, I'll keep up with fashion. I'll buy the new, exciting, fashionable things. But within a season, they are no longer fashionable. They become old and boring. New things get old. That's what they do. Clean things become dirty. Quick things begin to slow down. Uh, And this morning, I want to talk about how in God's kingdom, the opposite is true. So in God's kingdom, we see broken things get fixed. We see dirty things become clean. Damaged things are repaired. Slow things speed up again. Uh, Obsolete things become fashionable. Or as Jesus would say, he said in Matthew 20, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, we are talking about renewal, what Jesus does to restore, to make old things new. Uh, And Jesus is all about that. He's all about renewal. He's all about impossible situations being turned around, old things becoming new. Now, we've been working our way through Ephesians, and we're going to carry on a bit with that this morning. And we've gotten ourselves to what can only be described as a hefty passage. There is plenty going on here, and we're going to do our best to try and understand it. Uh, But really, it is about what Jesus does in our lives. It's about how Jesus makes old things new. It's about the deep work that he does within us as individuals, but within us as a community and in our city as well. Now, I should warn you, this is not for the faint-hearted this morning. It is a hefty chunk, and we're going to do some heavy lifting today, so I need you to concentrate uh, and go with me. Um, But there is some, some absolutely vital stuff here for life. It's about how all of creation is renewed. And sometimes when we get into these things, we can see it as lists of do's and don'ts, the naughty things we shouldn't do and the good things we should do. But hopefully we'll see this morning is much more profound than that. It is about how all of creation is restored. So we're going to read our first paragraph. uh, And then because there is quite a lot, we're going to work our way through the rest. So if you want to whack it up for me, Tom, that would be great. So if you've got your Bibles, you can read along. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of hearts. 
They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, to greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming you have heard about him and you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, right, we're going to pause there. So, Paul, we must remember, so Paul is the, the guy who we think wrote this letter, and he was writing to a church in Ephesus, probably a number of churches. We think this letter was passed around uh, to different places, different groups of people. But we can assume that they are normal people, with normal lives, with hopes, with dreams, with fears, with successes, with failures as well. In other words, they were just like us. Okay, We might think this was written 2,000 years ago, but this is just a letter from one person to a group of people. They're very similar to us. And Paul, in his writing, and he was in prison as he wrote this letter, his thinking is simple. I want you who read this letter to follow Jesus with every part of your lives. And, and that means to be a disciple of Jesus, to, to lay our lives down, to follow him as best we can. And Paul describes it in this passage as uh, taking off the old and putting on the new. So he, he's thinking, if you declare Jesus as your Lord, your saviour, you want to live for him. You say, yeah, Jesus is who I am going to worship in my life. I'm not worshiping, worshiping anyone or anything else. I'm going to worship Jesus. Uh, then we take off the old and we put on the new. And Paul is attempting to describe something that's actually quite dramatic that happens inside of us. It's quite high drama. This is quite consequential for the entire universe. It's a way of thinking about it. And Paul actually I wonder as he writes this, whether he's thinking about his own life as well, because actually some pretty dramatic things happens in the life of Paul. And I, I wonder as he wrote these words, as he's writing to this church, he's kind of thinking of some of the things that happened to him. And he was a, a very senior religious figure, and he was intent on destroying this uh, new faith, Christianity. And he went from town to town, throwing Christians in jail. And there's even some thought that he may have been complicit in the murder of some Christians as well. He was a man full of hate, full of resentment. And uh, then Jesus powerfully appears to him, actually on one of his journeys from one town to another, Jesus appears to him and his life is completely changed forever. He makes Jesus his Lord and Savior. He now worships Jesus. And I wonder if this is on his mind. He's thinking about his own kind of dramatic life change as he writes this section. So if we give our lives to Jesus, if we do what Paul did, if we say, yep, you're our Lord and Savior, then what happens in those moments? Well, it's old for new. That's what it is. Put down the old self. You put on the new self. So what does he mean by that? It's worth thinking about. What does he mean? Because this can be the sort of thing that Christians talk about without really thinking through what it means. So is he saying, look, if you're a Christian, just stop doing bad stuff. Stop doing naughty things. Start doing the opposite of naughty things. Be, start being good. 
Is that what Christianity is? Actually, it's just a a way of modifying our behavior to make us reasonable citizens in the world. Is that what it means? Uh, Actually, if you are a Christian, you're probably also quite a good member of society, and and that's all it is. Just your people who behave decently. Is that what he's after? Actually, he's going after something much more significant than that. Again, significant on a, a universal scale, on a huge scale. And Paul argues that we read there in verse 24, he says, you put on the new self created after the likeness of God. So pause for a moment, think about that. Paul's saying, when you become this Christian, when you give your life to him, actually, you start to become a bit like God. That's worth thinking about it for a moment. That somewhat changes the bar there, doesn't it? That uh, moves the expectation. How is Paul expecting us to behave? What's he wanting from his churches, including us in Manchester? What is Jesus looking for? So us to start behaving a little bit like God. So if you follow Jesus, Christchurch Manchester, you begin to look a bit like God. And it is actually a ridiculous statement, if you think about it. You might think of your week that you've had and think of maybe when you're in a particularly bad mood or you said something you regret now or you did something you think you probably shouldn't have done or whatever it is, you might be thinking, that is not much like God. I did not behave in that way. But actually, that's what we're going for. And when Paul writes this, why does he say that? Well, actually, he's pointing back to something. He's pointing back to creation, where God's created man, woman, if you want to move on, Tom says. Genesis 1, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created us with purpose, with role, with intention. And he did this before there was evil in the world, before there was rebellion, before there was arrogance, pride, and sin, before all of those things came into the world, God made us in a certain way. And how did he make us? He made us to be his image. He made us to be his representative. We are to be his men and women on the planet, on earth, in creation. We are created with purpose. Or as Paul wrote, we are created after the likeness of God. Okay, so he's echoing Genesis one then. So when he writes this, he writes this to the uh, churches as we read it today. He's reminding us who we are meant to be. Okay, this is what you are made for, people. This is what you're, you're truly made for. And he's going to write some difficult things, and we're going to do our best to understand those difficult things. And it's easy when we read stuff like that to get into the instruction side of it, like we're reading a manual on how to make the computer work. Do this, don't do that. It's easy to see it in those terms. But actually, we're thinking big picture here. Jesus is all about renewal, isn't he? To renew you, to renew us as a church, our whole city, to renew this, uh, the nation that we live in, to renew our continent, all of creation. To renew us to what? To the original purpose created in his own image. So how do we get there? How do you do as Paul says? How do you put down the old and pick up the new? How do we put down the image we have made for ourselves or has been given to us and pick up this new one, which is the image of God's? Well, I think Paul suggests three ways. He says we are called to repentance, we're called to community, and we are called to wisdom. Repentance, community, and wisdom. 
So let's put up the, the next screen. Thanks, Tom. So this, the next passage, and we're not going to read it all, but we're going to pick out a few things because Paul then gets into it. And he starts with a therefore. And when there's a therefore, you need to understand what came before that. And the before that is we are created after the likeness of God. Therefore, okay? It says, therefore, what do we do? Well, we put away falsehoods. We are angry, but we do not sin. It says, let the thief no longer steal. There's no corrupting talk to come out of your mouths. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So simply put, Paul says, okay, this is the therefore. You are created in the image of God. Therefore, don't lie, speak the truth. Be angry, but don't sin. Interesting, he says, don't be angry. Okay? Actually, anger is not a bad emotion, but he says, don't sin. He says, do not steal, but do honest work. No corrupting talk, but actually you should build up people with your words. No bitterness, anger, clamor, slander, malice, but instead kindness, soft-heartedness, and forgiveness. And he's illustrating for us, saying, this is how you put off the old and put on the new. Or... This is how you become a little bit like God. And Paul keeps going. He goes into verse 5. So next slide. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. He's saying it again. Be a little bit like God. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Okay. So we do all of these things and we are attempting to imitate God. And then Paul keeps going. He doesn't pause at that moment to make it nice and easy for us. He goes to the next slide, please. He says, okay, and this is another list. He says, but, so we are to be imitators of God, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness. And he says, you shouldn't even talk about this. It must not even be named. It should be that far away from you. He's not saying just suppress it. Don't talk about all these things like we live in 1940s Britain or something like that. He's saying actually it should be so far from your behavior that you don't talk about it. Uh, He says no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. He says everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is uh, who is covetousness, so they uh, is an idolater, so they worship things that aren't God's, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. So Paul adds some more things. Basically, if you want to be a little bit like God's, there is this as well. Now it's easy to read this stuff, especially if we are kind of from the West. We live in 2022. We are individualists, we are secularists, all of those things. It's easy to read this and think, why does it matter? Why, why are they so bothered about this? Why, why does it actually, who does it matter? Why does it matter who I sleep with, who I have sex with? Why, why does it matter? What does it matter what I think about? Like coveting is to, to want something that other people have and to, to worship it. Why, why does it matter if I think about that stuff, what I desire? What, what's the big deal? Why does it matter what I talk about? I can talk about anything I want. It's a free country. I can say what I like. I can make whatever jokes I want to make. Thank you very much. Also, going back to that previous list, what does it matter if I lie a bit, really? If I'm occasionally will steal stuff, if it's that kind of low level, not really nicking loads, but occasionally steal stuff, or if I gossip or something like that, why why does it matter? Why does God care about those things? Surely if we're all just getting on with our lives and we're not making someone else unhappy, then really it doesn't really matter. 
And you might think, you might think, okay, all right, we'll go back to the first list in Ephesians 4, lying, uncontrolled anger and stealing. I could see how they might hurt other people. So obviously, maybe we shouldn't do those things. That could be, could be damaging. But who we have sex with or what I think about or what we talk and joke about, that's pretty harmless. That fits into the, that realm of it's not your business. And we might even think that. We might even think, why? This is actually, if God exists, none of his business, okay? Or you might think, if God doesn't exist, this is certainly none of the church's business. The, the, uh, us as a people, we shouldn't care about this. The church shouldn't care about this. Why does it matter? And what we have to remember is what Paul is trying to help us understand. It's not just about telling people how to behave, Okay? And it's easy to get into that. When the church starts dictating, no, you should behave like this, don't behave like that, and that's all we talk about, then it's a problem, right? Uh, Paul is saying, look, actually, this is how the image of God behaves. Remembering that's who you are. You are the images of God's. You are to look different to the world around you. We are. We are meant to look different to the people of Manchester. Perhaps the families that we were brought up in, our friendship groups, our work colleagues, whatever it might be, we are to look different to the world around us. That is how we live out our true purpose, how we imitate God, how we are God copiers, how we do our best to put on his likeness. That matters to God because that's what he made us to be and do. It's what we are made for. So when we repent... So it's when you put down the old and you pick up the new, you put it on. It's a clear thing that he's calling us to. And it's not a one-off event either. Actually, that's why Paul is reminding us and, and writing about this. Actually, isn't you become a Christian, you make a vague prayer, sorry about other stuff, and then you move on. It's not that. Actually, it's a lifestyle. It's a repentance as an ongoing thing that we keep doing. Uh, just this week, I realized I actually uh, needed to repent of some bitterness, feeling a bit angry about something. It wasn't pie-level stuff, but I knew that it was going on in my heart. Uh, and so I thought, actually, I, I keep coming back to this in my mind. I keep pondering this. Why do I think about this? So I prayed, asked the Holy Spirit to help. Effectively, let's move on and grow up, Tim, in our thinking. Let's do some forgiving, shall we? And, and my heart begins to change on the issue because the Holy Spirit is involved Repentance is an ongoing thing. It's a lifestyle. But repentance as well isn't just about us as individuals. And again, the, the Western church, we can, when we read this stuff, we think, oh, this is how it affects me, and then we forget. And actually, that is not how Paul intended it to be read. When these letters are written, they are written to groups of people. They're meant to be understood in those ways. So we are called to repentance, but we're called to community. So let's go to our next slide. Thank you very much. And now we are going back. I told you we we're going to do some heavy lifting. We're going back to Ephesians 4, those first things that we read. But we're going to see that actually each instruction that Paul gave has community impact. It's interesting. He doesn't say uh, stop lying because it will be good for you and you'll have better self-esteem and you'll feel better as an individual. He says, actually, no, put away falsehood. Speak truth with your neighbor for we are members of one another. Effectively, telling truth is good for us as a community. It helps us. We're seeing that in our own country at the moment, aren't we? We're seeing where lies are told, actually it produces bad things. Bad stuff happens. Even we're, we were talking about our friends in the, UK, uh, the Ukraine. Actually, they are living under constant lies 
and the Russian people as well. And so where they, the truth is not there and it is very damaging to them. It also says, look, when you're angry, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Effectively knows, look, you deal with your anger, you put it in the light, you deal with it by the end of the day, uh, and do not, because the devil will get hold of it otherwise. And when the devil gets hold of stuff, he destroys. He doesn't just destroy you, he goes after the people around you. And he says, look, you should, you should not steal, you should work. You think, okay, yes, I can get behind that. We should all get jobs and not steal. But is it so that you can you know, look after your own bank account, look after your own family, keep it uh, as a, a thing to just be an individual and be good at those things? Actually, he's saying, no, you should do that so that you can share with someone who's in need. Actually, it has community impact. Each of these things are an instruction to the individual with community impact. And it's the restoration of our true purpose as the image, as people who are a bit like gods, as imitators, as God copiers. It's what he made us for, to represent him in creation. And this is an example of how you do that, how you are a representative. Because when you uh, are the image of God, you have deep impacts on the world around you. We are seen in how we behave. So when we repent, we live as God's made us to live. When we look to become the image, we live as God intended us to live. We have impact. So let's think about the uh, be angry and do not sin example. At the moment, we can pick any one of these, but let's think about that one. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Okay, now there are things in the world that make us angry and they should make us angry. Okay, you may have had stuff happen in your life which angers you. You may have seen things on the telly which anger you. You may have been talked to by someone in a way that angered you. There may be any number of things that make you angry. You could have experienced an injustice. And Jesus doesn't say, just chill out and forget about it. That's not what he means at all. Now, the old way, perhaps the old way. Remember, we're putting down the old and putting on the new. What was the old way? Well, maybe you like to bottle up your anger. You like to just not talk about it, not think about it, but slowly inside of you, it just produces bitterness and rage and it takes over your life. I knew a friend of mine years ago, he, had, uh, he was conned out of some money, conned out of a lot, a lot, thousands and thousands. And uh, the person who'd done it was long gone. Nobody had any clue where she was. They'd gone to the police. There was nothing he could do. And his anger at this consumed his whole life. He couldn't talk about anything else. He couldn't think about anything else. He couldn't do anything else. He just lived in that place of bitterness and anger. And we talked about it loads, uh, trying to help him say, look, this is never going to change. This is never going to be restored. It should be. We can be angry about this. But if you just bottle this, it will ruin you. And I think it did. Or you could approach anger in the other way, to explode in rage and react disproportionately uh, every time somebody cuts you up or maybe one of your kids drops food on the floor or whatever it might be in life is the two ways, isn't it? We bottle or we rage. But what is the new way? Well, Paul says, look, don't let the sun go down on it. In other words, light should be on this. You should deal with it properly. You should understand what it truly is and you should deal with it quickly because the sun goes down and don't let Satan use it. Don't let Satan use it for destruction. Could destroy your life. Could destroy the life of others. 
Nobody wants to live with a very angry person who has no control on it. That is life-destroying. But if we behave, as Paul describes, if we use our emotions properly, if we process our anger properly, for example, actually, you bring change to the communities that you're in. So everybody has worked with a work colleague, right, who just flips out for no reason at stuff, and you just can't understand why, and you're, you're walking on eggshells with this work colleague thinking, what is going to make them angry this week? But if you're not that person, if you're the person that Paul describes, you're the person that can deal with stress well, actually who can be upset by things that are upsetting but work through it properly, then actually you will bring change to the community that you are in. If your kids make you angry, and you, I don't know if you ever had this, where on a Sunday morning there's lots of people around that make you angry like, I'm not going to show my anger because there are lots of people here. Nobody else is showing their anger at the kids. So I'm just going to push that down till I'm at home. That's what I'm going to do. And that way I will look like a good parent, but actually be a bad one. I don't know if you've, that's obviously never happened to me in any situation. But if you deal with it in a godly way, your anger with your kids, and kids will make you angry. It's not a bad thing. Actually, if you deal with it in a godly way, you are teaching them how to deal with their anger. So you are the image of God's in that relationship. Our repentance brings renewal to our community. And what's the last thing Paul calls us to? He calls us to wisdom. And we will end with this. At the end of Ephesians 5, or the last bit we're looking at, he says, then look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So it's not an easy call that Paul is describing. All that is written here is not, a, come on, just get on with it. It's nice and easy. Talk about it once in your community group and you'll be fine. Yeah, this actually is an ongoing walk. And remember, when we've talked about Ephesians, there's lots of talk about how you walk, how you work this out. Not as unwise, but as wise. And there's recognition in that, that this is to be grappled with and understood. So he actually talks in some quite broad terms about things, doesn't he? Like sexual immorality or, or slander or, or whatever it might be. And those things are to be grappled with, to be thought about, to be worked out together and to be uh, understood, making the best use of the time that we have. So our time is limited in God's creation. Our time here to be his image, to be his representative is time bound. One day we will die. We will be with him. And we're called to make the best use of that time, to be imitators of God's, to be God copiers, to take our place. So we must walk carefully. And we are to understand that what the will of the Lord is. It's fascinating that he just puts that at the end, but understand what God's will is. In other words, whatever community or culture you find yourself in, we are to understand what God wants from us, not what the world around us wants. So when we read these difficult things, we don't look at it and think, oh, well, that's not how the world works today. We think, what's God's will for this situation? How am I meant to behave? What does an image of him look like in this scenario? I was talking with a friend this week. We were reading Genesis and uh, he was just saying, I really, really struggle with lots of things in there. And we were reading particularly about um, the, 
um, sexuality. And he was saying, I just, I'm really struggling to read this. I said, it's because you're reading it as a Westerner in the 21st century. You're not reading it as God is calling us. He's like, you're absolutely right. We need to understand this as God would have us understand. Understand what the will of the Lord is. 